Welcome to episode 13 of Unraveling Pink, a podcast exploring gender-based assumptions or pink bandana moments at work. I'm Annie Rogaski. In this episode, I speak with Brian Colucci, who is the Chief Business Development and Marketing Officer at Kilpatrick Townsend. This conversation followed a series of unrecorded conversations that Brian and I had about the culture, especially in Silicon Valley, of being busy and questions whether we're sacrificing too much for that culture, for example, our humanity. I hope you find this episode thought-provoking about how you're spending your time. Here's my conversation with Brian. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Tell me about your department and what you do. So we are about 25 in number. We have about 630 lawyers in the firm. So that works out to roughly one marketing and BD person for every 25 to 30 lawyers. We handle all aspects of basically client retention and development. So if you wanted to really simplify it, you would say we keep our existing clients happy and then we sometimes find new ones. But primarily it's about understanding the needs of your client. You know, I'm a, I'm the firm belief after being in this role for for many years that client service is the best is the best marketing tool you can have and it will naturally drive better stronger relationships and and more work for your clients. So that's what my team facilitates and there's a variety of ways they do that from rote proposal work to high-end events to really proactive coaching and strategy and things like that. And so in the particular department that you run, I know well, I used to work at Kilpatrick Townsend and I used to work with you and your team. And in a large law firm, people are working really hard, running around like crazy, and you're supporting a huge number of people. How does that impact your particular team? So one of the challenges on our team is our lawyers are, as you know, often type A, highly driven, work insane hours, all the stereotypes you think about when you think about lawyers. And our team has to kind of match that level of intensity. It can be hard to pull together a team that can they can hang in there with lawyers just from a sheer pace standpoint and keep them engaged and motivated and not burn them out. One challenge is simply that a lawyer, they kind of look at how hard you're working as a gauge of how well you're doing. And if they're all there all night and you're not, you know, the perception is that maybe you're not working as hard as they are. That's an interesting gauge. And it's one that I can remember, I'll say at every law firm that I have been at, not just at Kilpatrick Townsend, I can remember people would come by your office and they would say, so how are you doing? And the number one answer was, I'm busy. And it wasn't an I'm busy, don't bother me. It was more of an I'm busy, so you should recognize how successful I am. And it, it's a very destructive way of measuring yourself and when you're in the midst of that and you can't control that, how does your team navigate those issues? One of the interesting things is that I find my team members buying into that mentality. And As I, a measure of success? Yeah. And and I often have to step in. You know, when we come around to review time or um, even, you know, over the course of the year, often I'll be talking to a team member about a project or how we're doing or how they're doing. And they'll frame it just that way. Oh, I'm super busy. Mm -hmm. I, I worked 20 hours yesterday or something along those lines and almost as a measure of of their performance, right? Using it as a measure of performance and sometimes even comparing themselves against other team members who they think are not quite as busy. I try to remind them that we're not here to prove who's the busiest. Right. <laughs> we're we're here to show, you know, if you, in terms of your performance, we want to show who's the best. Or, or we want to, you know, we're here to be the best we can be, not the busiest people that we can be. Mm -hmm. I think also that it's not limited to law firms. Silicon Valley almost invented that mentality. Yeah. 
an interesting segue because I was going to ask you that of whether you thought it was a law firm thing, because with law firms, at least the way that I always thought of it was the busyness was tied to billable hours or it was tied to those partners above you seeing you as partner material. But there certainly is a feel in Silicon Valley that I think is different than people experience outside of the Valley. Do you see a path to getting away from that? I'm not sure that I do in the near term. I, I, don't, I don't know what it would take to, to really get away from that. I just just recently read an interview from a, a venture capitalist who was talking about the fact that, you know, in terms of his portfolio companies, he judges management candidates by how much they're willing to give up. And he tells them you're going to have to give up everything if you want to successfully, you know, launch this company. So the concept of you're giving up your life or your company as a measure of success, do you see that impacting men and women differently? I do sometimes. I will I will say that there are women, certainly you can look at, at women entrepreneurs and executives, I think, who have had to make that kind of decision and, and they've been open about it. I think some of them maybe are fine with it. Yeah. I, I think it appeals to some people. Yeah. And certainly we're talking in generalities and yeah. there are always going to be exceptions where people make personal decisions for whatever reasons they have. But I wonder about, I know in, in a law firm, my experience was there was there's a lot of pressure, whether you are male or female, for example, to not take a lot of time off after you have have a kid. And I remember one person telling me that he wasn't going to take very much time off after his first child was born because he had an opportunity to write a summary judgment motion. And I said, really? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. <laughs> There's this pressure to give up things that you're not going to get back in your life. And I wonder if structure of men going to work and women staying home, which was a long, long time ago, but there are remnants of that sort of 50s roles still lingered in some way, which I think a lot of women feel like they have two jobs, whereas men, if they do have stay-at-home wives, have one job. And that's not true of all situations, but how do those pressures play out at work? Well, in law firms, I think you certainly have a more traditional mindset in terms of male and female roles mm -hmm. in the workplace. No secret that law firm partners, by the time they get to management and later in their careers and they're running the firm, you know, those are generally people, I guess, at this point in the boomer generation and, and maybe even above that. So the traditional roles certainly still exist. One of the things that that, that generation doesn't realize is that for the younger generations, the, the expectations have, have really changed. Certainly, I played a lot more active role in my, in my children's early lives than my father did, who was often traveling and not around as, as much. And the expectation is that I think men will be more involved. That said, my team is about 75% women. Many of them have children and young children. What I've observed is a very uneven balance of caregiving. Uh, in, in their lives. Yes. Mm -hmm. For example, kids get sick. <laughs> um, <laughs> they fall off their bikes. They, they get, it's routine. What I've witnessed is that in 95 to 98% of the cases, it's the, it's the mom who's expected to drop everything, run home, handle it and be the caregiver. So that model still very much exists. I think it's because they're good at it, but it would be refreshing for the, the the working father to occasionally step up and say, "I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up, you know, the sick child from school or stay home with with this 
with a sick child for a week or something like that. Mm-hmm. That may happen. It doesn't happen very often. Do you think to make that change, it's a combination of both personal, like in that relationship, everybody defines a relationship differently of who does what of the, the home work. Do you see it as a combination of that and the workplace having to make some change? Or is it purely a personal issue or purely a professional issue? I think it's maybe a little bit of both. It's hard to make for me to make judgments about two, uh, you know, working parents. Mm-hmm. Let's say, and that's the situation with many of my team members. You've got two working parents. There shouldn't be any relationship between the importance of your job or the or the significance mm-hmm. of your job and your role as a caregiver mm-hmm. for your children. In other words, if if I have someone on my team and they're they're husband is a Fortune 100, you know, CEO, I still think he should be able to run home and take care <laughs> right. of, his, of his child because it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I need that person on my team. She's a valuable team member. And it's it's distracting to have her, you know, have to run home every time mm-hmm. something happens. Well, and so that raises a, an interesting point of the impact on someone's job or career when they have those roles. And it could be kids, it could be elderly parents. A lot of people are are dealing with that now. So when you have, if you combine what we were talking about earlier, this this culture of busyness with responsibilities of caregiving, which means you're going to be outside of the office and not as busy, or you have to make up that time at other points in time, Mm -hmm. unless the employer is looking at this as an necessary thing for everybody, men and women, and encourages it, it seems like whoever those caregiving responsibilities fall more on, their career would suffer because they're not in the office as much or or their managers feel like they can't rely on them to be there because who knows, they might have to pick up and go. How do we as as companies make that change? How do we, or is it happening anyway because we see millennials coming up who have kind of a different perspective on the workplace than the boomers did, for example. Well, it, it's interesting. So our law firm just put a revised parental leave policy in place and uh, it's been well received. But when you're, when you're talking about policies, that kind of change is, is glacial. I mean, yeah. it's, it's these tiny tweaks to policies that are sweated over for hours and they don't really significantly change things. What has to change is the mindset of, you know, not only older partners in a law firm setting, but really everyone across the board is just the mindset of kind of taking it out on a on a person or, you know, when they're making that decision to do something like support a child or a parent over work. A lot of times it's not a decision. Yeah. Mean, and particularly with the example of elderly parents is a good one. That is only going to increase. And ironically, you know, that's going to be uh, something that the, the boomer generation is going to be relying on millennials and to handle. We do have this workplace that has this emphasis on getting to the corner office and working hard, which I think is an ethic from the boomer generation that then the Gen Xers, you and I are both Gen Xers, bought into. Then I remember when I was then partner and I had a young associate come to me and say, I don't want your life. I don't want your job. I don't want to be a partner. And so it may be that we have this this generational pressure where the boomers need to see some change if they're going to be taken care of by the Gen Xers. And the Gen Xers, if that caregiving falls equally on men and women, might see more of a need for law firms and other companies to have a more balanced caregiver 
recognition and might appreciate more that this is part of life and it, we can't we can't stick with that busyness model. And then the millennials are like, I'll work from anywhere. As long as I'm doing my job, what do you care what I'm doing and where I'm doing it? So maybe those three perspectives could come together once everyone realizes the impact on themselves to change it. What do you think? That would that would be my hope. I I will say that with I manage a lot of millennials as well. And I've been actually quite encouraged by their attitude with regard to things like work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing that they want something different than the Gen Xers and Boomers? Yeah. Yes. I and I think they haven't they haven't bought into that vision that you described, you know, needing to work themselves to the bone, feel like they're successful. The older generation perhaps has attached this stigma to to millennials that I don't think is fair. I've witnessed millennials who are very hard workers. Mostly what I've seen is a lot of talent, incredibly smart and creative and interesting people. So I think that the dialogue around millennials, I think is very unfair. Yeah. Um, in a way that you know, as a Gen Xer, I thought it was unfair to to my generation. I can recall in college being told by professors that we were the first generation that was not going to do as well as our parents. And of course, there was, you know, we were slackers and, and there was the whole grunge thing. We didn't, and you know, we smelled bad. I mean, it was, it was bad and it was open season on, yeah. on Gen Xers in a way that it's now open season on millennials. And, and I think they have a much healthier view of things in, in law firms, millennial associates. I think they're very open about the fact that this probably is not going to be for me long term. Mm-hmm. And and they're thinking about other things that they can do with their their law degree. And that's a good thing because, as we know, not everyone can make it to the corner office. The, the model is even harder. It's harder to get there now than it has ever been. Yeah. And it, it's interesting to think about how the law firm model in particular might change. If you could take the millennials and put them in power and say, change this firm or change the law firm structure to what you would want it to be, that to me would be an amazing evolution of a law firm. You could think about, is it going to be a partnership structure? Do we even have a physical office? Like, What does that look like? If- we are trying as a firm. I mean, certainly, if you look at something like space, almost, well, certainly every firm that is paying attention should be reducing its space. We are doing that. And that's requiring more people working from home and other kind of flexible work situations. That requires a high level of responsibility, mm-hmm. autonomy, technical ability, yeah. uh, just to be able to you know manage everything that goes with logging in every day. We're moving in that direction. It's it's slow, but I think that's an example of how we're, we're taking advantage of and, and actually reaping the benefit of the fact that millennials are willing to work in those alternative settings. Do you see that having an impact on the conversations that are happening at work among Gen Xers and baby boomers as well as millennials? Like everyone comes to work with their own situation and that may impact how ambitious they are at work, how they want to work. Are they remote workers? Do they like being in the office? Do you see the the millennial impact increasing conversation around that? That's a good question. I would say that we're moving in a positive direction in the sense that I'll, I'll give you an example. And you're not just being a marketer on me. No, I'm being not. Positive. No, okay. no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm generally fairly cynical. <laughs> we're in the process in one of our offices of moving largely to a remote work situation. Mm-hmm. We, we have some flexibility. And so rather than kind of dictate to everyone, look, this, you know, today you're working out of the office five days a week, but 
you know, tomorrow it's going to be three days a week or, or, you know, you're going to be here. I am really working hard to figure out what's the best situation for each person. My goal is for that person to be the most productive they can be. If that means they're at home, great. If that means they're at work, great. Mm -hmm. But it's all over the map. You've got people who, who may have a home situation that just is not set up to work from home. Yeah. They might have five dogs. They might have, (laughs) um, you know, no, no really nice available working space. Mm -hmm. They might be in the, in the rural area with no, without very good internet access. Yeah. And that person actually needs to come in the office. So we need a space for that person. Mm -hmm. And then other people are going to be thrilled at the opportunity to work from home and probably will be more productive. Yeah. But if you tried to just apply one solution to that situation, you'd have almost invariably half the people would be upset and mm. you'd be less productive. I'm just trying to map out a way to be the most productive we can be with the the people that we have. And yeah. you mentioned, you know, kind of you take people as you find them in a certain to a certain extent. I mean, obviously you interview and you hire, but until someone's on board, you never really have a feel for what their day-to-day challenges are. As a as a manager, the challenge is to to manage around that without, you know, losing your humanity. Yeah. Well, I wish everyone managed that way. If you can get at the individual ways your team works and figure out what optimizes the work for everybody, which is a hard problem, but that does make everybody happier. So it's good for retention, but it also makes people more productive. Is there anything that you think we didn't cover? One of, the, one of the things I think we talked about the paradigm of busyness and success or kind of what maybe has been written about or described as the cult of busyness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the things that really I try to drive home to my team, regardless of, of gender or age or talent, <laughs> is that we're not going to get there just by showing how busy we can be. We're not going to match the intensity level of partner who builds 2,400 hours a year, nor would we want to. Right. Nor should that partner want to. Nor should that partner (laughs) want to. We have to be focused on, on being the best that we can be. I don't think it's an exaggeration. If you're talented and you know what you're doing um, and you're focused on it, you can do it in less time than someone who's none of those things right? or is overly busy. And, you know, ultimately, over time, it hopefully gets us away from that that paradigm of, you know, the amount of hours you can build being associated with how successful you are. Right. Do you have a challenge for our listeners of something that they can do? It doesn't have to be a huge thing. It can be just something they can go into work tomorrow and do that would somehow advance us on the gender equality side. So I would challenge uh, your listeners to challenge their assumptions. And by that, I mean what I see just on the dynamics of my team. I see a lot of people making assumptions about their coworkers. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to do. I think we all do it. It's human nature. But you assume, for example, that because someone has a spouse who's at home all the time, that that spouse should be available to handle whatever comes up. And that mm-hmm. your team member should therefore be able to just be at the office 24 hours a day with no repercussions. Right. Each situation is different. It can be difficult to have those conversations in the workplace. Um, but I think it's important to get to know your your coworkers, at least your immediate coworkers, enough to be able to kind of independently assess their situations and and not make assumptions about the traditional about what what you perceive as traditional roles of caregiving and um, 
kind of how how they balance work work and life in their in their settings because it could be you it, i'll just give you that situation you could have a stay-at-home spouse who's got um a small child or two or and one of them may have special needs mm-hmm, right? right or they may also be caring for a parent mm-hmm. or they may be dealing with their own health or personal issue we sometimes wall that part of our lives off from our coworkers, um, but i think creating an environment where you can have an open conversation about those things is difficult but uh, i would i would challenge managers to create that kind of environment and i would i would challenge um, everyone else to try to meet their coworkers on that playing field i love that a great challenge that comes down to the core thing we need to do that would change everything which is just understand each other better and you can't do that without talking to each other so i like that great well thank you so much for talking with us today brian thank you thanks for listening i'd love to hear your thoughts on the culture of busyness the challenges it creates and any solutions you found tweet them to at unraveling pink or send me a note on unravelingpink.com contact If you have a pink bandana moment you're willing to share or a guest you'd like to hear from in a future episode, also send me a note at unravelingpink.com slash contact and let me know. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to review it or rate it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or TuneIn. Together, we can unravel the pink bandana. (laughs) 